Good morning, everyone. Welcome to First Baptist Church. How y'all doing today? We are so glad that you are here today to worship with us, to learn from God's Word. It's a great day to praise the Lord. Amen? I can't hear you. It's a great day to praise the Lord. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together and sing.
morning, uh, unofficial survey, but if you, before you're seated, just remain standing for a moment if you can. Uh, if, you, if God has done great things for you, would you raise your hand up real high? Okay, that's pretty much universal. The Bible says we're to give him glory because great things he hath done. So we mm-hmm. praised him together this morning and thank God for this beautiful praise team and their encouraging words. So thank you guys so very, very much for that. And we're going to go to the Lord in a word of prayer, and we've got Joy Carmack, whose brother is in the hospital at Scripps, and then Dave Pollum, who's a good friend of mine for almost 50 years, who's also in the hospital, uh, will have, a, I think, an electrocardiogram, EKG, uh, tomorrow. So let's bow our heads, and with every head bowed, if you have a special prayer request, uh, raise your hand up real high. Julia, I know you lost your brother, and God bless you, Monica, and God bless you in the back, and, and all right, so many, so many. Father in heaven. You know our hearts today. You know the things that weigh heavy on our hearts. You know the burdens that people carry. Lord, we may not see it when we look in their countenance. We may see a smile. We may hear an encouraging word from them. But, Father, we don't know what's going on on the inside. But you do, as we'll learn in today's sermon, even a reinforce in today's sermon. You know even our thoughts. You know our thoughts before we have them, which is just amazing. So, Father, we pray that you would be the burden lifter today. We pray that you would be the encourager today. We pray that you would be the Savior, the only Savior today. We pray, God, that you would be the one who numbers our steps and leads us. We pray that you would be glorified in all that we say and do and think. And, Father, we just thank you for each person here. And we pray it in the name that's above every name, the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Good to have everyone here. And if you are a first-time guest here at First Baptist Church, I'm going to ask you to do me a favor and take one of these cards in the seat backs in front of you. If you're on the side, please don't feel bad about going over and picking them one up from the nearest uh, chair. But take one of these connection cards, fill it out, and then at the end of the service, you can give it to me, you can give it to my wife, you can give it to Julie, you can give it to our greeters. Just give it to somebody, and we will, if you're a first-time guest, we will give you a gift card to Starbucks. Uh, That's not my favorite coffee, but they have other stuff, like, you know, really, I don't really like coffee. I like all the foo-foo stuff that you put in it. So I've been known to drink creamer straight from the carton. I, I just, I will tell you that, so... So go ahead and fill this out. We'd love to have a record of your visit here. Today, the man with the withered hand, the message, and then Holy Communion afterwards, you're invited to participate. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, we're honored to have you do that with us today. Military lunch right after the services on the patio. And then next Sunday, then there were 12 is the name of the sermon as he chooses the, Jesus chooses the rest of his a dozen disciples that will travel with him for a little over two and a half years. And then also another baptism next week. I'm getting excited about this. We're baptizing every couple of two or three or four weeks, and uh, that's, a, that's an encouraging thing to me. So uh, if you are waiting uh, to be baptized, what in the world are you waiting for? <laughs> we'll have water here. It'll probably be warm. It'll be wet. And we will baptize you if you have received Christ as your personal Savior, and we'll just do that. Hey, get off the fence. Get in or get out type thing, right? You know, serve the Lord. So uh, (laughs) baptism next Sunday. Great time to get baptized. 
uh, especially when we're talking about his 12 disciples, want you to be one of those. Last Sunday, we made an appeal for workers. We still need workers, but last Sunday, we had a, 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 lady, a lady volunteer to become one of our teachers and workers in the Sunday school kids department. We had a man uh, also do the same thing, and then we had two teens, thankfully, who volunteered to help out in the classes, so that's a tremendous first step. We need some more, so we want everybody to have, ideally, one Sunday a month where they teach your work and then can sit in the preaching for the rest of the month because you need all the preaching you can get. So, uh, so that's, our, that's our goal. Um, all right. So now, good news, great, great things God's doing, great things are happening. Sad news is we're about to lose this young lady right here. Yeah. She is going to go to the state of Mississippi. And she's going to be working there, and look, got a good church there, and her daughters are going to be gone also, so uh, we're going to pray for her right now. So would you stand as we go to the Lord in a word of prayer, and I wonder, Bobby, would you mind saying the blessing and asking God to bless Robin as she takes off here? Father, we're coming for you today just to give you thanks for all that you do for us. For the people that you bring to this church. Yes. For just how you minister to your congregation. Mm. And God, we thank you that you are, you are faithful. That you provide our every need. And Father, we pray that as Robin departs and goes to Mississippi. Father, we pray that you would just go before her. That you will lay a pathway for her, that the trip will be smooth and easy, mm. and Father, that you would just uh, wrap your arms around her and comfort her, and, and, and just uh, let her know that you are God, that you're in control. There's nothing that you do not see, that you That's do right. not know. That's right. And Father, we pray that you just calm her nerves and just give her strength and glory in you, that she would look to you for her, her every need, and we know you'd be there to provide for her. We thank you just for the person she is, yes. for the person she's going to be, and for those she will minister to in Mississippi. God, we thank you that you've, you've ordained this, and we pray that you just uh, watch our steps and guard over her and keep her. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Love you guys, man. We love you guys. We'll miss you. God bless you. Thank you. Let's remain standing as we continue to worship the Lord together in song.
so much. Thank you, praise team, for that. I want us to have all the young men and young ladies to come to the front right here. The rest of you, moms, dads, aunts, uncles, grandparents, can turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6. Let's find out. How many have your Bibles here this morning? Let's see your hands. Got your Bible? Maybe on an electronic device? Maybe on leather and paper? All right, old-fashioned, old-school. There you go. All right, Luke, chapter 6. will be there in a moment. Boys and girls, this is a test. How many of you know the first three words of the Bible? Does anybody know the first? Do you know the first three words? What, what do you think it is? That's close. That's close. In the beginning, God's created the heavens and the earth. That was part of the first verse. Just give him a hand. So that's a good place to start in the beginning because when that was happening, what was it the beginning of? Does anybody know? What? God blessed us. That was the beginning of his blessings. Yeah. Well, yes, ma'am. The animals like what? Reindeer. Fishies? And a dolphin? What about the unicorn? That's another, don't worry about that. That's, yes. Okay, what else did he create? Do you remember, Ellie? People. And their names were Fred and Elma, right? Can't be a Fred. Oh, can't be a Fred. Okay, all right, sorry about that, Fred. All right, so what were the names of the first two people that God created? Yes, sir. Adam and Eve, that's exactly right. All right, so Adam and Eve. And he made Adam a man. By the way, they didn't have any mom or dad, and they didn't have belly buttons either. You'll have to get your mom and dad to explain that to you later on. So I'm just telling you what I learned in Bible college. You don't learn that everywhere, folks. You got to go to Bible college. So he made Adam to be the first man. How many know what a man is? It's a really big boy. That's what a man is, all right? And he made Eve a woman. How many know what a woman is? You're smarter than a lot of politicians. You know that? You guys are brilliant. Because we live in a day when some people don't even know what a man or a woman or a boy or a girl is. But let me tell you something. God created you as a boy or a girl in the image of God. And so he made you special. That's the way he made you. So don't ever let anybody confuse you about that. And if you have any questions about it, you come and ask your preacher, and I'll let you know what you are, okay? But it's according to the Word of God. So let's, let's pray and thank him for making us exactly who he made us to be. Let's bow our heads. Our Father in heaven, we're so grateful for every young lady and every young man down here today. And God, we pray that you would affirm them as being created in your very image. Lord, I pray that you would protect them from the enemy who would destroy them and destroy us if he possibly could. Father, forgive us of our sins and bless us. Bless the teachers as they pour into the lives of these young ladies and young men. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, boys and girls. Go ahead and go to your classes right over here to the left, my left. And we're going to be talking about the man with the withered hand in our study of the life of Christ, the chronological study. 
And we start out the man with the withered hand. Now, it says et al, too. That doesn't mean also al. Uh, that means uh, and others that were also involved in the being healing here. But this is in Galilee, probably. Let's see the, the next slide. We got two slides we need to have. Okay, there's right here. Now, this is Galilee right here. Remember this? This is the Sea of Tiberias, which is also called the Sea of Galilee, which is also called Lake Gennesaret, all right there. Jesus' main ministry was right in here. He moves from, uh, from, from the, moves around, but he, comes, he settles in Capernaum, which is right on the, the Sea of Tiberias or the Sea of Galilee right there. And this becomes his headquarters for, uh, for preaching, for healing, for all the stuff he's going to be doing. So probably in 31 AD, on his way back from Jerusalem where he had been taking care of of ministry there. So we learned that last week that Jesus had problems with the religionists of the day. He had problems with the Pharisees. This week we learned that his conflict with them with him was not a one-time thing. It was an ongoing situation. According to some Bible scholars, today's text in Luke chapter 6 is the will record the third Sabbath controversy. Now there was somebody out here uh, unloading chairs that, they were, that were borrowed, uh, and he was in a uniform. Is he in here now? Is he in here now? I, I think I worried him because I, I, I said, you're, you're working on the Sabbath? And, <laughs> and then I figured out, I don't think he goes to church here. And so he's probably saying, man, that guy down there, something's, something's wrong with him. But it's the third Sabbath day controversy with the Pharisees. It had to do with an act of mercy an act of healing by our Lord. Now, for more information on Sabbath than what I can go into right now, because we've been studying this a couple of weeks now, uh, check your bulletin out later on, not while I'm preaching, but later on, and uh, find out about the Sabbath. But it is amazing that some people can only see the bad or the supposed bad in any situation. Here was an, an incredible act of kindness we're going to find out, a man with a, with a paralyzed hand, uh, and, and God through Jesus Christ, his son heals him, but the Pharisees didn't major on that. They majored on what they perceived was a problem with the healing on a Sabbath. So I just want to encourage you with don't be a Debbie Downer. Don't be a Pharisee. Don't be a Karen. If your name is Karen, I'm really sorry about that. But rem I'm sorry. That's the way it goes. Uh, Remember the song on Hee Haw, Gloom, Despair, and Agony on Me, Deep, Dark, Depression, Excessive Misery. If it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Gloom, Despair, and Agony on Me. Do you know anybody like that? Anybody know anybody like that? Yeah? No, no elbowing. Uh, none of that going on right now. <laughs> Rejoice in the good that goes on. Don't always be the one to point out the negative. Don't always be the one to point out uh, the, the problems in a situation. Now, Regarding this particular miracle, the Synoptic Gospels, remember that? Synoptic, synoptic Gospels were Matthew, Mark, and Luke, those three. And then John, John was doing his own thing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. Uh, and Matthew, Mark, and Luke kind of followed the same outline, sort of, under the inspiration of God. Uh, so we're going to use Luke's account today for a specific reason. So in Luke chapter 6 and verse 6, and I'm using a translation you may not, may not have with you, but I... I like it. On another Sabbath day, Luke, by the way, on another Sabbath day, so he, he jumps from one Sabbath day healing to another Sabbath day healing. So he ties them together, and he says, a man with a deformed right hand, and that's of significance, we'll find out in a minute. Uh, the, the right hand was, for the most part, a dominant hand. 
uh, for most people. Now, I don't know about this particular man, but it's, it's uh, reasonable to figure out he was right-handed and he, his hand was paralyzed. Now, imagine, and I've tried to imagine this a few times in my life, that my right hand would not function for whatever reason. I've, you ever try to sh- sign your signature with, with the non-dominant hand? Uh, have you ever tried to eat? With, I stab myself with a fork when I, <laughs> when I use the wrong hand. Uh, so, so the right hand was dominant, and it was the one that was crippled. So he was in the synagogue while Jesus was teaching. And by the way, that's mostly what Jesus did in the synagogues, we find in the New Testament, as he was teaching the Word of God. The teach, verse 7, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees watched Jesus closely. Now, literally, in the translation, it means kept watching. They kept watching. They eyeballed him. They were kind of mad-dogging him, really, in, in a way. They expected Jesus would do something controversial, and they were looking for reasons to accuse him. Isn't it interesting? They didn't doubt his ability to heal. Isn't that interesting? They, they weren't like, oh, I don't believe this guy's going to be able to heal. I'm, we're going to watch him I don't think he can really do this. They were concerned about what day he was going to do it on and whose name it was going to be in. So they didn't doubt his ability to heal. So, uh, why, why would they be critical of If he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. Again, Sabbath, Saturday, the day of rest, unique to the Jewish uh, nation, uh, one of their two emblems, th- that of circumcision, that of Sabbath keeping. Uh, today, uh, we're to have, the principle still applies. We should have a day of rest. You should not go seven days a week, 24 hours a day. You're going to break down at some point. Uh, so they were, they were going to he- accuse him of healing on the Sabbath. Terrible sin. But Jesus knew their thoughts. Jesus knew their thoughts. And this wasn't some kind of, uh, some sort of, of intuition. Like we talk about women's intuition, you know. My mom used to have this, she had, I used to say it was eyes in the back of her head. Because she would know stuff that was going on. I have no idea how she found out about stuff that was going on. Women had that unique ability. But this was beyond that. Jesus knew their thoughts. He had prophetic awareness. This was a supernatural ability he had to figure out what people were thinking. And Jesus challenged the thought of his opponents. The ultimate issue for him was was not doing good versus doing nothing, but rather doing good versus doing evil. For failure to do good when we have it in our ability to do good is equal to evil. Let me say that again. Failure to do good in instances where we can be a blessing and be a help is, in effect, to do evil. James 4.17 says, Therefore, to him that knows to do good and does it not, to him it is sin. So here's Jesus in the synagogue teaching. Here's a man, withered hand. Here are the Pharisees eyeballing his every move, listening to every word he's saying, looking for a chink in his armor, so to speak. And he said, Jesus said to the man with a deformed hand, come and stand in front of everyone. This wasn't something done in a back room. This wasn't something done, you know, in the kitchen while everybody else is in the auditorium. This was, he said, come stand right here, right in the middle, right there. So the man came forward. Then Jesus said to his critics, the Pharisees, I have a question for you. Does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath or is it a day for doing evil? Is this a day to save life? Or destroy it. That's 
Sounds like uh, not too tricky a question to answer here. But you know why he said it that way? I think because they're literally saying, is this the time to kill life? Maybe referenced in their earlier determination to kill him on the Sabbath. So they don't, want, they don't want him healing anybody on the Sabbath, but we can sure take him out on the, on the Sabbath. What hypocrisy. Now, Matthew 12, 11 and 12 adds a specific question and an illustration. He says masterfully, if you have a sheep that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, wouldn't you work to pull it out? Emphasize the word work. Wouldn't you work to pull it out? Of course you would. And how much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Yes, the law permits a person to do good on the Sabbath. So what he's saying here is mercy and necessity trumps man's rules. He looked around at them, verse 10, one by one. I mean, can you imagine him going, I mean, person to person, person to person. I mean, everybody, he made eye contact, I think, with everybody that was right there in the synagogue. And, and when he did that, uh, one by one, then he said to the man, hold out your hand. The, the, the paralyzed one, hold, hold out your hand. Extend your hand out. So the man held out his hand, and it was restored. At this, the enemies of Jesus, literally, the translation is, were wild with rage. What is the deal, folks? He just got healed. His right hand, perhaps his dominant hand, perhaps this will, if, this will make his life easier, if not outright help his occupation. I'm not sure what his occupation was. If he's a fisherman, if he's a, a farmer, if he, well, I don't know what he was. But, but it's got to be a help. And at this, the enemies of Jesus were wild with rage. And it means they're literally a senseless madness and folly, crazy, out of their mind. Like the guy on the freeway the other day. No, it wasn't me. I was the recipient of his blessings. All I did was drive on the 905, and he was saluting me and asking God's blessings on my life, and it was a mess. A senseless madness and folly out of his mind, out of control, craziness. And they began to discuss what to do with him. Now, Matthew and Mark reveal the Pharisees specifically wanted to destroy him. Again, they're talking about killing him. Doesn't matter that it's the Sabbath if you're going to kill him. It only matters if you're going to heal somebody on the Sabbath. Such hypocrisy. The word used there is, is apolumai, which means to perish or to kill, to take the life. So here we go. Uh, point number one, don't get worried. Uh, that, that was a little long introduction, but it, it'll, it'll go faster, I promise you. So uh, another Sabbath, another controversy. Luke records the plucking of grain by the disciples. Remember we talked about that last week and the healing of the man's withered hand together, emphasizing the controversy over what should and shouldn't be done on the Sabbath. So that we determined last week, according to the book of Deuteronomy, one of the verses there, I don't have it written down right now, that, that travelers were specifically allowed when traveling alongside a field to take some grain and to thresh it with their hands, roll it and, and eat it. They could do handfuls of, as long as they didn't use a sickle and cut a bunch of grain. So, so the, the laws that they had about working on the Sabbath, most of them by far, most of them were arbitrary, man-made laws, words uh, of, of, what do you call it, um, oral tradition 
as opposed to the inspired word of Almighty God. So uh, the Sabbath had been turned from a day of blessing to its observers. Okay, how, if, you, if you've ever been around a farm, that's a lot of hard work. A ranch, a lot of hard work. There are a lot of jobs. You guys in the military, guys and gals, sometimes you go on, you have 12-hour days, shifts where you're on 12 hours. The police department here, they have a 12-hour shift, 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. or 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. And that's long. And if you're staying busy for 12 hours, that makes for a long, long day. So when you get that time off, it's pretty nice. You know, sleep in. Anybody ever sleep in anymore? I saw something on the internet that says, you know, have, the older you get, it's all about trying to stay awake and then trying to fall asleep. <laughs> I said, ultimately, I'm failing at both of them right now. So, um, you know, when I don't need to go to sleep, that's when I'm zing, sawing logs. And when it's time to go to sleep, I'm like, you know, so... Anyhow, the Sabbath then turned from a day of blessings for the observers to a day of ceremonial obligation, obedience without regard to human needs. Forget this guy's paralysis. Forget the fact that he's got a withered hand. Jesus defended his disciples' action with the grain, and then he made very clear the Sabbath was made for the man, not man for the Sabbath. So look. If it's in here, you better do it. I believe it. It's thus saith the Lord. If it's just some preacher talking, some pope talking, some church council talking, then it better measure up to the Word of God. If it doesn't agree with the Word of God, then it doesn't have the same authority at all. Second point is another need, more compassion. When Jesus saw the man, he was filled with compassion. I love that. Here's a person who had a need. Jesus knew he was there. Jesus looked at him, and he, his heart was overflowing. I want to ask you a question. Do we really see people? Do we really see people when we see them? Well, I, I know it's easy to get very, um, I don't know, calloused about people on the side of the road, um, begging for money, wanting, uh, you know, Whatever. I know that happens, and, 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 and I battle with myself with it, but do we really see them? Do we see their needs? Do we understand that there's someone's son, there's someone's daughter, there's someone's mom, someone's dad, someone's brother, someone's sister? Do we see people and see their needs? And if it's within our power to help, do we, in fact, help them? This man, withered hand and all, defective as he was, if you want to say it that way, was much more valuable than a sheep, much more valuable. Luke is the only author who specifies it was the man's right hand that was paralyzed. You know why? He was a physician. He would be more anatomically specific, and this was probably some kind of uh, uh, an atrophy, uh, a, a shrivel up condition brought on by accident or illness. And then thirdly, we see another crowd of hostile witnesses. They don't have a chance. Jesus knew their thoughts. How are you going to hide from a God like that? Where are you going to go? The psalmist says, where are you going to go? You're going to go to the farthest island? You're going to go to the top of a mountain? You're going to go under the sea? You're going to crawl under the rocks to hide from God? He knows exactly 
where we are. He knows what we're doing every moment of every day. He knows where we go. And I just found, I just, I just heard something that blew my mind. Somebody I, I knew about had, had a mistress on the side, never suspected it, never had any idea about it. Don't know how in the world. Wound up having an illegal marriage to a second while he was still married to the first woman? I don't know how you have that kind of time, energy, and money, and everything else to have two. I have no idea. Don't desire to have it. But God knows he had two. God knows where your mind is. God knows where your heart is. Do we see people? Do we really see them? Do we, do, do we try to help them? Do, he knows their thoughts. How are you going to hide from God like that? Jesus was grieved by the Pharisees' attitudes. Now, Mark tells us something that Luke doesn't tell us. In Mark chapter 3, verse 5, when he looked around them, he looked around them with anger. Jesus looked, Jesus was angry? Yeah. He got angry. Well, then what's the difference? If Jesus is angry, that guy that was driving down the 905 and doing all kinds of crazy stuff, what's the difference between him and Jesus? Big difference. His is a righteous anger. Jesus is a righteous anger based on the violation of that which is holy and right and just. But he was angry. He had looked around about them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts. It's not Often that Jesus was angry, but he was a couple of different times. He was here, and he was in the cleansing of the temple. You remember that? You remember when they went to the temple, and there were people were selling sacrifices, and probably, well, what's wrong with selling sacrifices? Well, probably they were marking up the price. Here, make it convenient. Make it a convenient religion, easy religion. You don't have to go through your herds and pick the very best of your herds. You just go to the temple, and there'll be some guy there, and he'll sell you one, and, and he'll bump the price up, and it'll make it really easy. Or maybe they were maybe they were selling the same animals over and over and over and over again to people as the travelers came through. There was something corrupt about what they were doing. They were doing money changing. Maybe they were cheating people out of money when they made the exchange. I don't know, but something wasn't right with it. And Jesus made a whip and drove them out and overturned the tables. He was angry there, but it was a righteous anger. And, and there was another time when the disciples tried to keep the little children away from him. You remember that? They, they want just the adults to come around. Keep the kids back there. Put them in, uh, over there. Don't, don't let them come out. And he was angry, the Bible says. And he told them to allow the little children to come to me. So not only was he angry, in addition, he was distressed. He was grieved or afflicted by their hardness of heart, by their blindness by their insensitivity, by their callousness. Number four on your outline, another seemingly impossible command. Rise up and stand forth. Well, the man could do that. He didn't have any trouble that we know of walking. He obeyed the Lord. He stood in the middle of the congregation. Now everyone could see what was about to happen. And Jesus then asked the questions about whether it's legal or allowable to do good or acts of benevolence or evil to do injury, affliction, or hurt on the Sabbath. And he gave the illustration of the shepherd and the sheep. Then he looked around him and, and at each person, piercing, convicting, searching their hearts. You know what I prayed 
last night and again this morning that God would search and would pierce and convict hearts at First Baptist Church. My own heart to begin with. My own heart. I don't want to come up here and just stand here and talk and go home and we can grab lunch and everything's hunky-dory and we're fine. Oh, sorry about the hunky-dory part. You put that in my brain this morning. I want God to search our hearts. I want God to show us that something needs to be changed. Something needs to be repented of. Something that needs to be made right. He's looking at you today. He's looking at me today. And he said to the man, stretch forth your hand. So what, do you, what is it we need to do? We need to, we need to come out with it. We need to go be front and center with it. We need to, uh, to, to make that initial move, and then he'll do what we can't do because we, we do what we can do. And this time, without a physical touch, he didn't touch the man. The power of Christ and the act of obedience by the man accomplished the healing, and he was no longer paralyzed. He walked away from the temple made completely whole. The man was able to accomplish the impossible because it was according to Jesus' command. God is not held back by the impossible. With God, all things are possible. He is indeed Lord of the Sabbath. He is Lord of all. He is sovereign. Number five, another variance of responses. How do you think the formerly paralyzed man felt? Let's think about that for a second. He walked into the temple, withered hand. I doubt he, I doubt he thought, I'm going to go to the temple today. Maybe I'll get healed. I doubt that ever crossed his mind. Don't know how long he'd been afflicted by this, but I'm sure it was long enough that he's kind of used to it and kind of like, you know, that's life. You, ever, you have something like that? Uh, you know, you, I, I told Pat the other day, it's like, every once in a while going up and down the stairs, my ankle gives out. If it's not my ankle, my knee gives out. If it's not my knee, it's my back gives out. If it's not my back, I got head problems. I, you know, <laughs> something's not working right. I'm, I'm afraid something's going to fall off and roll down the stairs. You know, I, I just... I'm sure he wasn't thinking about it, he, but, but here he is now. He's in the temple, and there's this Jesus. Maybe he knew who he was. Maybe he didn't. I don't know. But, but he knew there was something unique about this individual named Jesus. And, and when Jesus said, stand in the middle, he did that out of obedience. And now Jesus heals him, and his hand is made whole. How do you think he felt? I think he was like high-fiving. I think he turned Pentecostal. Yeah, I, I, if there was an aisle, I think he rolled down it. I, I, I tell you what, I, I think he got excited about it. He, he, controversy, I don't care what they think. My hand's well. All is good. What about his family and friends? Had they given up hope of his ever being healed? Had they given up hope that it would ever be made right and that it, it, it's just this is something he's going to take to his grave? He's going to carry it to his grave. It's great it's going to be. What do you think they thought? Who did what? How did that happen? Are you kidding me? Wish I'd have been in church Sunday. See, that happen. Had to go to the beach. Oh, that's in another translation. <laughs> what about Jesus' disciples? How do you think they felt about that? Were they amazed at this Jesus? Were they amazed at this healing again? Or had this become too common. Huh? Oh, there's another guy healed. I can imagine Judas saying that. 
Now, there's another, another demon cast out. What's for lunch? Yeah. Folks, don't ever let the supernatural become commonplace. Greatest thing that ever happened to me besides being given life was being given eternal life. Third thing was God giving me a her. Don't take for granted. Don't just think it's commonplace. When God does something, and every day God does something, every day God does something, every day God does a lot of things. You're so. I, I looked at that table. We had our men's breakfast yesterday. <laughs> we had chili rianos. We had tamales. We had eggs. We had bacon. We had beans, we had rice, we had fruit. We, I don't know what all we had out there. We had a we had a spread. And you know what I remembered momentarily? I remembered being in Korea, and I remembered going to the house of of a family in Korea back in the 1977. And there were three or four little bowls. One of them had rice. One of them had some kind of fish. And one of them had little pieces of beef of some kind. You and I would look at that under normal circumstances and say, this is for the, we're all going to eat this? This is, there's not very much here. When we got through, the missionary, we went outside, the missionary said, they will not eat well for a month because they spent everything just about they had on this dinner for you Americans. We are blessed. Don't ever take that for granted. Never cease being amazed at the grace of God. I've got got some crummy things in my past. I don't want to think about them. And you know what? I don't have to a whole lot. The devil likes to bring them up every once in a while. Just tell him, leave me alone. It's under the blood. Jesus died for that sin. What about the Pharisees? Well, let's see. The, the man was ecstatic. He was healed. His friends and neighbors were, oh, oh, wow, this is incredible. Man, that's amazing. The disciples, I don't know. The Pharisees, were they excited? No. No, they were not. They were wild with rage. And uh, Now, look, at, in, in, in the Bible says they began conspiring with the Herodians how they could kill Jesus. What in the world is a Herodian? Is that like a Rotarian? Uh, the Herodians were a Jewish political party originating, originating in devotion to the Roman emperor and Herod, his deputy. These were not the normal Jews. Normal Jews resented Herod, resented the Roman government, resented being ruled by Gentiles, and yet here were this this political party, the Herodians. They were the court party and submitted willingly to the government of Rome, being at the opposite end from the Pharisees. Under normal circumstances, they were bitter enemies of the Pharisees. It may be that some of them 
actually regarded Herod as their Messiah. That's how, that's how crazy they were. And yet, a, a, these arch enemies combined resources against Jesus. The enemy of your enemy is your friend applies here. The enemy of your enemy is your friend. They hated each other, but they hated Jesus more. Think about this. The Pharisees were enraged at a healing on the Sabbath, but had no problem plotting a murder on the Sabbath. Sin is a terrible thing. Like Samson of old, it blinds us, and then it binds us, and then it grinds us. Sin is a terrible master. Last point on your outline, another round of healings. This is where Al comes in. It Al. Matthew 12 and Mark 3 record many more physical healings and the casting out of devils, so many, so many that, uh, that the throngs gathered around him so that he could hardly get around. Uh, his ability to travel was impaired uh, between the crowds of people asking for healing and the religious crowd wanting to kill him and the people who were demon-possessed wanting to be set free from the demons. He would often retreat to the hills to pray and to call and to teach his disciples. There are at least 11 occasions in the New Testament in which he did that very thing, according to Mark. He went to the mountains. And next week, we continue the life of Christ study with the sermon, and then there were 12. So let's conclude with this. What are, what are the lessons we learn here? First of all, Jesus kept the Sabbath by restoring the man to health and power. One greater than David had come, and that was Jesus the Christ. His authority was demonstrated by his ability to be able to heal on the Sabbath day. The second thing is this, Jesus' knowledge of his opponent's thoughts. He knew what his opponents were thinking. He knows what his disciples were thinking. He knew that Judas was of the devil from the beginning. He knew that he would betray him. He had prophetic divine authority. What else did we learn? The paralyzed man exhibits his inability to help himself. Whatever he had tried with physicians or whatever else, therapy, VT, or whatever else, he couldn't fix his own hand. But what he needed was faith and obedience in what Jesus said. The fourth thing is this. The man overcame his fear of the religionists of the day. You remember there were people who were afraid and fearful of the Pharisees because they could kick him out of the temple, and so they wouldn't do whatever. But here, this man said, I'll stand forth. I'll be healed. I'm, I don't have a problem with it. He overcame his fear. And sometimes we, we are fearful of the trappings of what we have been, that we don't want to follow the truth when we see that it's in conflict with what we've been taught before. Number five, he entirely trusted Jesus and proved it by obeying his command, not only to stand forth, but to reach forth his hand. Number six, we're paralyzed as well by sin. We're not able to do anything in such a state. You didn't find God. He found you. You and I were not looking for God. He was looking for us. And he revealed himself, and he called us, and we either accepted or rejected that offer of eternal salvation. You know how withered hands can be healed? by the pierced hands of Jesus, our Savior. Next week, and then there were 12. But today, 
communion. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. I'm going to ask the praise team to come to the front. And we're going to prepare for communion. But first of all, we're going to have a verse or two of invitation. This is your opportunity to come tell my wife, ladies, come and talk to me, guys. If you need to, we're going to sing one, maybe two verses, no more than that. Raise your hand. Go ahead. Pass the elements down each row, one tray at a time, Joe, one tray at a time. Okay. And let's resolve to take care of whatever business we need to take care of with the Lord. The Apostle Paul said, the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we being many are one bread and one body, and we're all partakers of that one bread. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of demons. This is called the Lord's table. This is an opportunity to make things right. The Bible tells us to examine our own hearts. So would you do that right now with every head bowed? Would you look inside? Would you ask the Holy Spirit to show you what you need to do? And if it's confess your sins to him, make sure you do that today. If it's to become a believer in Jesus Christ, put your faith and trust in him, then do that. And we're up here as they play through one verse of invitation. You come right now and we'll pray with you whatever decision you need to make.
God is good. What I prayed for, that's what I prayed for right there. God is good. The Bible says in the account in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul said, I've received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take eat, this is my body, which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. So in a moment, after we give thanks, this unleavened bread is a picture of the sinless body of Jesus that was nailed to the cross to pay the awful price of your sin and mine. He said, bless it first of all. Father, thank you for that incredible, pure, sinless body that was racked with pain and secured to an old rugged cross with spikes for my sin. God, thank you for loving me that much. In Jesus' name I pray. He said, take eat. When he had given thanks, after the same manner, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do you as often as drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you to show the Lord's death until he come. The cup is a symbol of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Either we had to die or another had to die for us who had the power to be our Savior and Messiah. That wouldn't be just anybody. We couldn't get our best friend to die for us. That wouldn't satisfy the law. It had to be someone who was sinless, someone who was perfect, someone who had never failed in any way. And there's only been one person like that, and his name was Jesus, and he was the Christ. Father, thank you for the shed blood of my Savior, who by shedding his blood gave us eternal life by grace through faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Drink ye all of it. As a symbol of our Christian unity, I'm going to ask you to stand together. And if you're willing and able to, join hands together with those that are around you. And let's sing, thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. you and go with you to the rest of the day. God bless you. Thank you for being in God's house today.